in the debate between Kirk Cousins and Justin Fields, I'm going to break down exactly why the Falcons will absolutely choose Kirk Cousins. You are Locked On Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back, everyone, to another illustrious episode of the Locked on Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of Locked on Sports Atlanta, your team every day. And if you don't know me, I'm your very humble host, Aaron Freeman, a.k.a. Sirius Black, a.k.a. Mr. Drew, a.k.a. the Jolly Green Giant, a.k.a. Mr. A.k.a. And of course, the very humble host of this illustrious podcast. And I think each and every one of you that is an everydayer of this illustrious podcast. And all you got to do to become an everyday so that you can too be illustrious is subscribe or follow for free on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts. So coming up on today's illustrious podcast, and if you're wondering why I keep saying illustrious, because I know some of you guys have a drinking game. Every time I say illustrious, you drink. So, you know, let's get right. Let's end up, let's close out the week by getting right. But Coming up on today's illustrious podcast, right? We're going to be breaking down two defensive tackle prospects from the University of Texas, Byron Murphy II and Tavondre Sweat, and why I think Murphy is a low-level sleeper for the Falcons' first-round pick and why I don't necessarily think Sweat is going to be on the Falcons' radar at any point in the draft. We'll also talk about some of the downsides of the Falcons potentially signing Kirk Cousins and, and why that move isn't a long-term solution at the quarterback position. But we're going to start today's episode by kind of clearing the air when it comes to the Kirk Cousins versus Justin Fields debate, right? And if you've been listening to this podcast, you know, I've been pushing the idea that the Falcons are going to likely pursue Kirk Cousins, haven't really been pushing that for Justin Fields, right? You, you've heard me label it as Kirk Cousins is plan B for the Falcons at quarterback and while Justin Fields is plan D. And I feel compelled to clear the air because I got hit up yesterday by a locked on Falcons insider. Um, shout out to you, Cody. And you can you can talk this spicy to me if, if you're a paying customer as the locked on Falcons insiders are. If you want to join that, by all means, hit the link in the description below at joinsubtext.com slash lockdown Falcons, 14 day free trial, then $4.99 a month. You get access to my film reviews about to drop a Drake May uh, breakdown. This week, already did Caleb Williams, did J.J. McCarthy, got Jaden Daniels coming up. So go check it out if you haven't already. But this person basically said, you know, to me, you know, and that one-on-one -on -one connection that you get by becoming a Locked on Falcons insider is he called, he said that I was horny for Kirk Cousins as a pickup. And I had to kind of set him straight. I'm not pushing Kirk Cousins because that's the move that I think is the right move for the Falcons. As we get later in today's episode, you'll hear some of the reasons why I, I don't love that move for the Atlanta Falcons. But I push that because I think it's the most likely outcome. And I'm using logic and reason and rationality to come to that conclusion that I think when you really break it down, the odds really point in the direction of the Falcons if the opportunity is there. And that's certainly a debate on whether they'll get that opportunity. But if they have a chance to pursue Kirk Cousins, they will absolutely choose him over, say, Justin Fields. And it's threefold, right? It comes down to the pressure to win, scheme fit, and a belief in the player. And that first thing, pressure to win, right? I know QB wins is not um, 
a, a, a meaningful stat, but when you look at Kirk Cousins' career win percentage as a starter quarterback in the NFL, over a 17-game season, he has averaged about nine wins. You look at Justin Fields in that same metric, would be about four and a half wins, right? And this is meaningful because we sit here and we go, why is Raheem Morris currently the Atlanta Falcons head coach? Because Arthur Smith got fired. Why did Arthur Smith get fired? Arthur Smith got fired because he didn't win games. And if you're Raheem Morris coming into this building, you're going to feel that pressure to win, right? They're, they didn't fire Arthur Smith so that they can go, you know, seven and 10 again. Right? They fired Arthur Smith because they believe that they're capable of going 10 and seven. And if you're looking at those two numbers, where one quarterback has won twice as many games as a starter. And again, I know QB wins are overrated, Like, but if you're betting on who's more likely to get me to 10 wins, Kirk Cousins or Justin Fields, to me, it's understandable why you would think, again, I, don't, I think it's a no-brainer why this regime would side on Kirk Cousins. Now, the second issue is scheme fit when it comes to what offense that Zach Robinson is going to run now. We don't know that 100%, but he comes from the Sean McVay school. And you look at Kirk Cousins, is 12 years in the NFL. Ten of those years, he has played in a Mike Shanahan, Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay derivative offense, right? Two years under Kyle Shanahan to start his career in Washington, then three years when Sean McVay was the play caller in Washington. Then he goes to Minnesota. He spent three years in Gary Kubiak adjacent systems under Kevin Stefanski, Gary Kubiak, and Clint Kubiak. Right. And Gary Kubiak is basically the brother offense of the Kyle Shanahan offense because they both stem from the Mike Shanahan offense. And then the last two years under Kevin O'Connell, who learned, you know, from Sean McVay in L.A. And Kirk is a proven producer for basically a decade in very similar schemes. Right. He's been consistently a top 10, top 15 caliber quarterback playing in that system. You compare that to Justin Fields, who's spent three years in Chicago playing in West Coast systems under Matt Nagy and Luke Getze. Now, Matt Nagy runs a West Coast offense that is derivative of the Andy Reid offense, which is a cousin of the Shanahan offenses, right? Because Andy Reid learned from Mike Holmgren while, you know, Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay learned from Mike Shanahan. Those are two diverging points. They all came from Bill Walsh in the 70s and 80s in San Francisco, but they're sort of two diverging systems. Luke Getze learned under first Mike McCarthy, when he was in Green Bay, and Mike McCarthy is also a student of the West Coast offense under Paul Hackett, another Bill Walsh assistant from the 80s. And he also learned in Green Bay recently under Matt LaFleur, who's a derivative of the McVay and Shanahan offense. And you compare Kirk Cousins as a proven producer in a very similar scheme to what Zach Robinson is expected to run, while meanwhile, Justin Fields has struggled running cousin schemes, Right. And so, like, again, it's proven versus project, right? Kirk Cousins is proven. Justin Fields is a project. And if you're sitting there going, like, what are you going to bet on? I think they're going to bet on the proven guy. Now, of course, everybody says, oh, Robinson's going to adapt his scheme, Aaron. And of course. Arthur Smith said he was going to adapt his scheme to the quarterback. And again, maybe Zach Robinson is being truthful while Arthur Smith didn't necessarily do that. But if you're going to adapt your scheme, right, if, you, if you're going to bet, you're going to bet on a player that is proven top 10 producer in this type of offense versus a player that proven bottom 10 quarterback in similar offenses. Then we get to the third point. So if it's not clear, I think they're going to bet on the proven guy. Third point, you can disregard all of this if you believe in the player. If you truly believe, oh, we don't care about what Justin Fields has done in the past. We believe in him moving forward. And certainly the argument for Justin Fields 
really is boils down to what he's going to do in the next couple of years versus what you think Kirk Cousins is going to do due to his injury, right? But more on that later, right? But so you can disregard that. And, you know, there's this notion of like, oh, this is a do-over offseason for the Falcons because they hired Raheem Morris, who they could have possibly hired in 2021. And maybe they do over the NFL draft where, you know, instead of taking Kyle Pitts, they could have taken Justin Fields. And it's fun to think about, like in a world where the Falcons did stick with Raheem Morris back in 2021, rather than hiring Arthur Smith, would they have drafted Fields? It's certainly an interesting thought exercise. And I certainly think you can make an argument that there's an alternative reality where that's the case. But when it comes down to believing in the player, Raheem Morris doesn't know Justin Fields. Why would he believe in the player? He does know Kirk Cousins because he was part of that Washington staff with Kyle Shannon and Sean McVay for the first three years of Kirk Cousins' career. Now, Kirk Cousins was a backup to RG3 then, but Raheem Morse was in the building with Kirk Cousins. Raheem Morse has no connection to Justin Fields, right? The only time the Rams have played Justin Fields or the Bears the last three years was the season opener in 2021. So Justin Fields' first NFL game where he played five snaps in that game behind Andy Dalton. And so if you're going to bet on Raheem Morse and the decision makers in Atlanta to buy into the player, who do you think is the better bet? The player that Raheem Morse actually knows or this completely stranger to him? Not to mention Terry Fontenot is still part of this team. And Terry Fontenot, if he truly believed in Justin Fields as a player, maybe would have drafted him three years ago. But, you know, is he more likely to believe in Justin Fields as a player, a player he's not been around for three years today than he did three years ago? Again, I think that's very debatable. So could Justin Fields become an Atlanta Falcon? Absolutely. I think that path is mostly if Kirk Cousins is not available. Again, a lot of fans assume, and I understand why, that Kirk Cousins will resign with the Minnesota Vikings. It doesn't seem that people that actually cover the Vikings seem to think that that is as much of a slam dunk as I think a lot of fans outside of Minnesota seem to think, especially those in the state of Georgia. Right now, basically, that situation has to play out over the next three weeks. The Vikings have three weeks, basically, between now and the middle of March to you know, redo a deal with Kirk Cousins. But if he hits the open market, there's a very high probability that he's going to wind up being an Atlanta Falcon. Now, if he doesn't hit the open market, then the odds that Justin Fields is going to be the quarterback for the Atlanta Falcons, the next quarterback for the Atlanta Falcons, shoot up. But we'll see. We'll see how that plays out. But that's why I continue to be, quote unquote, horny for Kirk Cousins, because I just sit here and I go. It's not because I think Kirk Cousins is a slam dunk of a quarterback. It's just simply because I think if you're just reading the tea leaves, if you're just connecting dots, as we often do on this podcast, right? no inside information, but all signs point to the Falcons preferring Kirk Cousins over Justin Fields. Now, as I said, I don't think Kirk Cousins is a slam dunk move. And I think essentially, and I'll make this argument as we continue today's Locked On Falcons, that adding him is basically a very expensive punt at the position, and we'll break that down as we continue today's episode. Now, guys, are you the kind of driver that likes to push things a little further? Ever wonder what adventure could be around the next corner? Our friends at Nissan have a lineup of SUVs with capabilities to take your next adventure to that next level. And the 2024 Nissan Rogue is perfect for city drives and great escapes. It's a perfect midsize crossover for your next adventure. I can attest to this because I rented a Nissan Rogue a couple of weeks ago when I was down in Mobile for the Senior Bowl. And I had so many NFL insiders like Tom Pelissero commenting on the 12.3-inch HD touchscreen infotainment system that no longer needs a phone to connect apps like Google Assistant, Google Maps, and the Google Play Store because it's built right in. 
And you know, Tom was curious about what other offerings that Nissan has. And I had to tell him about the 2024 Nissan Armada that will change what you expect with a full-size SUV. Just picture, Tom, a rugged 4x4 that can seat up to 8 in first-class luxury and style. Tow bigger and explore further in the 2024 Nissan Armada. So take the Nissan Rogue, the Nissan Armada, or the Nissan Pathfinder and go find your next big adventure, Tom, by going to shop US, shopnissanusa.com. So continuing today's Locked On Falcons, want to plug the 24-7 streaming channel of Locked On Sports today, giving you the biggest headlines across all the leagues, national sports, local experts, all available on YouTube, the first of its kind. And if you want more local flavor, check out the Locked On Sports Atlanta's 24-7 streaming channel right here on YouTube as well. All part of Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So let's talk about the potential pitfalls of, of signing Kirk Cousins. I don't think Kirk Cousins is like automatic slam dunk. Oh, the Falcons are going to be good now. You know, I think more likely it's going to be a path to being competent and mediocre, but probably not much more than that, if I'm being completely honest. But we've talked a little bit about the sort of parallels between Justin Fields and Sam Darnold and why the Falcons have to be willing to pay attention to what the Panthers did three years ago when they traded for Sam Darnold and avoid some of those same pitfalls that they found in, most notably whether when it comes to the decision if and when the Falcons trade for Justin Fields to extend that fifth-year option. The Panthers did it with Sam Darnold. I've seen a lot of folks assuming that the Falcons will do it with Justin Fields. I don't think that's the case. I think more than likely you'll get Justin Fields and the Falcons to do sort of a mini one-year extension in the same ways that the Packers did with Jordan Love last year that gives Justin Fields some guaranteed money in 2025, but not the 20-plus, the 20 $22 million in guarantees that he would get if the Falcons gave that fifth-year option sight unseen. But paying attention to Carolina's pitfalls, you know, uh, makes a ton of sense. But you can also, when it comes to Kirk Cousins, there's another NFC South team that has a lot of parallels, and that's the New Orleans Saints when they signed Derek Carr last year. That in a lot of ways that the Falcons signing Kirk Cousins is very similar to what the Saints did a year ago signing Derek Carr. Now, the first year of Derek Carr was – okay, I guess you could say for the Saints, and we'll see if it's better in year two in Clint Kubiak's offense versus Pete Carmichael's offense. So we'll see about that. Um, but to be honest with you, when I sort of compare what I would expect from Kirk Cousins in 2024 in Atlanta versus what the Saints got from Derek Carr in 2023 in New Orleans, I kind of think they'll probably be the same. I think really you're hoping that year two under Kirk Cousins is going to be blossoming because, again, coming off that Achilles, coming into a brand new system, brand new players, like I'm not expecting Kirk Cousins to hit the ground running uh, immediately in, in year one. And it's really like, okay, let's let's see what he can do in 2025, right? But you compare that to Derek Carr, who signed a four-year deal with the Saints last year worth, I think, $150 million, but it really boiled down to like a two-year $60 million contract. And now the Saints are, are stuck paying that second year of the contract with Derek Carr, and they might have to pay a third year uh, if they wind up restructuring it between now and the start of the year to get cap compliant. Um, and they're already looking to potentially upgrade that spot. And it doesn't seem likely that J.J. McCarthy, who's the projected QB4 out of Michigan, uh, in this draft is going to fall to them at 14 in round one. It's possible, but you know, with so many QB needy teams, a lot of teams would have to pass on J.J. McCarthy for him to be there at 14. But if he were to be there you would expect the, the Saints to potentially jump at the chance to, to pick him up so that they could, you know, grease the wheels to move on from Derek Carr. And so for me, in a lot of ways, Kirk Cousins and Derek Carr are very similar. That they've had a lot of success in the NFL, but, 
you know, they're productive players, but they don't get a lot of team success. Like Kirk Cousins has been a nine-year starter in the NFL. Teams have only made the playoffs three times. 2015 in Washington, 2019, which was the second year in Minnesota, and 2022 where the Vikings, you know, won a lot of one-score games that they probably had no business winning. And pretty much every other year of Kirk Cousins, you're winning seven, eight, nine games a year is pretty consistently the case for not both Washington and Minnesota. And that's kind of the main knock on Kirk Cousins. That in the same way with Derek Carr, who was productive for many years with Las Vegas and in Oakland, but you know, they weren't necessarily winning a ton of playoff games in those years. You're you're gonna get competent quarterback play, but you're kind of competent is basically another term for mediocre in the larger scheme of things. That you know, your ceiling potentially is really like a nine or ten win team that can maybe make the playoffs. Maybe if you get a favorable matchup, you know. In, in the first round of the playoffs, you can make it to the second round of the playoffs, but you're not a true contender past that is, is basically. And unless you're going to have an elite supporting cast around Kirk Cousins, like you're probably not going to get more than that. Right. Um, and so to me, that's why I sit here and I say like, while I think Kirk Cousins is the likeliest outcome, it's not something that I'm quote unquote horny for as Cody would say, uh, because to me, it's just punting, right? You're basically saying, Come in here and give us competent play for two, maybe three years. And hopefully in that two or three year period of time where you're we're just kind of not treading water is probably not the right word, but something a little bit better than that. You know, maybe you're treading water with a life preserver and, you know, you got some webbed flippers on or, or whatever, you know, it's some I can't think of the equivalent off the top of my head, but you know what I'm saying? Like it's you're not just simply treading water, but maybe you're you know, you maybe you got a Mai Tai in your in your <laughs> You, you know, you're at a, a a pool in Las Vegas and you got a nice drink in your head and you're just just treading water in the pool. That's that's basically the best case scenario, I think, you know, so you're, you're feeling good about treading water. But, you know, that's all you're really doing um, if you're following what I'm saying. And so you're hoping as you tread water with a drink in your hand over the next two or three years, you're hoping that a better opportunity to upgrade the quarterback comes along. Right. That Kirk Cousins isn't solving your quarterback situation you're just basically saying we'll deal with it later right and so that's why like i'm not that horny for kirk cousins i just recognize it as really kind of the best out of a bunch of potential bad options for the falcons right that you're 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 probably going to be in the same situation that minnesota finds themselves in which is like yeah we've been a competitive team for the last what five six years under kirk cousins but we feel like there's so much more room for growth. And that's really what the Falcons are basically hoping for. And certainly I think given Kirk Cousins at age, right, at this point in time, that, you know, the player that the Vikings were inheriting at 30, they were getting the prime of Kirk Cousins then. And the Falcons, you know, barring some late career resurgence from Kirk Cousins, are not getting the prime of Kirk Cousins. So you might not even get what the Vikings have gotten the last couple of years, which is a couple of playoff appearances. And so that to me is the downside of Kirk Cousins. So again, I don't sit here and say, oh man, Kirk Cousins is this great option for the Falcons. I just sit here and I go like, he's probably the most likely option should he become available given the reasons that we broke down earlier. But we will leave that conversation aside. I'm sure we will spend a lot more time talking about Kirk Cousins and Justin Fields over the next three plus weeks. Uh, on this podcast, but we'll wrap up today's episode looking at some draft prospects. We'll look ahead to April and look at two defensive tackles from Texas in Byron Murphy, the second one of whom could be our Grady Jarrett era parent and the other one to Vondre Sweat, despite being this massive nose tackle. I don't know if is as good a fit 
as maybe some people think. And we'll break that down to wrap up today's Locked on Violence. But guys, I want to tell you that this next segment is brought to us by our sponsor, BetterHelp. And sometimes we all need the opportunity to get something off our chest, big or small. Certain things can really start to get to you. It's important to let that out, especially as someone who's unbiased in your life. And I, I got some things I got to let out, you know, about some two down nose tackles, right? And certainly in Tavondre Sweat's case, he's a very big problem. But, you know, whether you need to deal with that, therapy can be different for everyone. Right. Most of us have bigger problems than our favorite sports team and who they might draft. And it's important to get those things off your chest every once in a while. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be flexible and suited to your schedule. Visit BetterHelp.com slash locked on and you'll get 10 percent off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash locked on. So uh, before we wrap up today's Lockdown Falcons, I do want to give you guys a heads up for especially the audio listeners that there will be a delay in when this episode drops on Monday due to some technical behind the scenes issues um, that you probably won't get the Monday audio version of the podcast until the afternoon on Monday rather than it being ready for your uh, morning commutes. Uh, So the YouTube will go up probably on Sunday night barring some unexpected events. So you'll still be able to check it out just on YouTube uh, Monday morning, but just want to give you guys that heads up. So, you know, I inevitably, I know there's going to be a couple of you that hit me up like, where's the podcast? Where's the podcast Monday morning? And that's the reason, but let's talk about life after Grady Jarrett. And we discussed this yesterday on the podcast on, you know, mentioning Grady Jarrett as a possibility of being cap cut. And I broke down why I don't think that's likely to happen. But one of the themes that you've heard me talk about a bunch of times this offseason so far is the Falcons need to start preparing for life after Grady Jarrett and life after Jake Matthews to a lesser extent. And the hope is that they will be better prepared for life after those fixtures, you know, depart, you know, than they have been in life after Matt Ryan and Julio Jones. You can argue that the bulk of their current issues right now and why Raheem Morris is, is, has a job here in Atlanta right now today is because the Falcons did not properly prepare for life after Matt Ryan and Julio Jones, not, you know, in terms of the quarterback and and, and replacing one of the most explosive receivers in NFL history. And you don't want to see a similar issue come up for the Falcons in terms of Grady Jarrett and Jake Matthews, because, you know, we've seen this team make progress the last couple of years in, in improving the trenches and you don't want to see them backslide in that regard. So, you know, I want to talk about two potential prospects from Texas and Byron Murphy, the second and Tavondre sweat. I watched three games of theirs today. And Murphy is interesting to me because he's kind of a sleeper for the Falcons first round pick. I've seen a, a bunch of mocks that have him in that 11 to 15 range. And it's, to me, it's not crazy to think that between now and April, we might see more mocks mocking him in the top 10, especially given potential needs that teams like Atlanta at eight and Chicago at nine have at that position. Now I've seen a couple of mocks that have sweat going in the late first round, but I think most people are projecting him as a second round guy. We'll circle back to why I'm skeptical of where he ultimately goes in that regard. But talking about Murphy, he reminds me a lot of a young Grady Jarrett, right? He plays a lot of nose tackle for Texas. And I think a lot of people would be surprised to know that is Byron Murphy has gotten more snaps at nose tackle the last three years at Texas than Tavondre Sweat has. It's similar to the dynamic between Grady Jarrett and Don Terry Poe in 2017 that a lot of people assume, oh, Don Terry Poe was the nose tackle. No, he was the three tech and Grady Jarrett was the nose tackle for that team playing that one technique role. And, you know, Grady Jarrett spent the bulk of his first three years in the NFL playing that one technique nose tackle role. And Byron Murphy plays that similar role for Texas right now. Um, but has, like Grady Jarrett, I think the explosiveness 
to be a very disruptive three technique if he were to play that. So he gives you some, you know, positional flexibility at that D tackle position. Um, he was part of the Bruce Feldman freak list last year. And so the expectation he's going to tear up the combine. And if he does, then we might be hearing more about him being a potential option for the Falcons. And I think it makes a ton of sense for Byron Murphy because of that nose tackle ability that when we talk about the Falcons needing a nose tackle, now that they're moving to the three, four, and you look at the types of nose tackles that Raheem Morris's defense have had the last couple of years in, in LA, it's not been this sort of big wide body guy that I think a lot of people assume it's been Greg Gaines. It's been Kobe Turner. It's been Bobby Brown and Murphy fits more in that notion. And then you compare that to, say, Jimmy Lake at Washington. When he was at Washington, they had some big guys like Danny Shelton and Vita Vea. But when you look at when Jimmy Lake was the true blue D coordinator there, it was Greg Gaines that was their nose tackle rather than the big, you know, 340-pound space eaters that those guys are. And so I think because of the Vea connection, you know, a lot of people will be like, oh, that's what, you know, Jimmy Lake wants in his defense or whatever. And you look at Tavondre Sweat as a sort of natural fit in that role. Um, and again, he hasn't really played that role, but certainly I think it's understandable why people would project into that role. And Sweat is interesting at the senior bowl. He had some very good reps in one-on-ones, you know, being able to bully sinners in, in the senior bowl. He did, he opted against weighing in at the senior bowl, which was notable um, because, you know, it speaks to some other things, but I'm not the world's biggest fan of Tavondre Sweat. I think he's kind of a two down guy that's not really worth a top 100 pick. So to me, I would I would wait till day three to draft him again. I know he's being mocked as a top 50 pick, but I compare him to the last two drafts that have produced other similar nose tackles. Right. He's not a, a one of one freak like Jordan Davis. So that's not a fair comparison. Um, but you could maybe compare him to Travis Jones and, and Siaki Ika, who've come out the last two years. And both of those players were at this point being mocked as top 50 picks, but quote unquote fell to the third round. Now I don't think calling them saying they fell uh, is accurate, but I think that's the NFL kind of telling us that they only value that type of player as third round players. And I think Jones and Ika were better prospects. That's my personal opinion. I know maybe other people will disagree on that. And I think you like you watch, you know, watching these three games, like there's one or two snaps every game where you see Tavondre sweat and you see him being disruptive and, and all these various things, winning with a swim move or whatever, but like those reps are kind of few and far between. And to me, I'm not going to buy into a prospect just based off of like two flashes that he showed, certainly not in the top 50 in the draft. And part of it is because of my core belief that I think two down run pluggers like a Tavondre Sweat are kind of a dime a dozen, right? Like I can go out on the street and find a very similar guy that's going to give me basically what I'm projecting Tavondre Sweat to give me in three or four years and might give me that in three or four years. I can get that player right now in free agency with a proven veteran. And this hap- this is part of the reason why I don't believe in drafting using premium picks on, on two down run pluggers, right? Um, you know, if you want to, if you need a body, you know, take a flyer on that guy in round five, six or seven. Okay, that's fine. You know, versus drafting a special teams guy. But, you know, to me, using a premium pick on, on that guy. And the example I would use is Jonathan Hankins, who is a free agent this offseason, along with other players like Lecky Fotu and Josh Tupo, that if you're looking for a space eater, just go sign one in free agency. But look at Jonathan Hankins. He was a second-round pick back in 2013 for the New York Giants, number 49th overall selection. So he was a top 50 selection. He was a productive starter for the Giants for four years. Uh, but then he, when he hit free agency, they moved on from him because teams don't pay two-down players, Right or they don't pay premiums for two down players. So you're drafting these guys as these one contract players 
And again, not to say that this is the only factor and variable that goes into drafting a player, but if I'm going to use a top 100 pick on a player, I'm going to hope that that player is going to be more than a um, one contract player. And if he is going to be a one contract player, like say a running back might be, at least that guy's going to give me a lot more value than what I think a two down run plugger is going to give me, um, you know, over the life of that rookie contract, right? So that's the case for, you know, drafting a B. John Robinson or a Nick Chubb or, you know, whoever else uh, in the top 100 picks, even if you know that running backs don't have the longevity. But like you look at John, Jonathan Hankins over the last like seven years, he's been kind of a journeyman guy, played with the Colts, played a lot with the Raiders, uh, recently with the Cowboys and whatnot. And Jonathan Hankins is basically going to give you exactly what you're hoping Tavondre Sweat's going to give you in a couple of years if Tavondre Sweat develops. So I, I'm not a huge fan of that sort of notion. Uh, of, of drafting a guy like Sweat, I think a lot of people were sort of like, oh, we're moving back to a 3-4. We need a nose tackle. Go get the 380-plus-pound guy into Vondre Sweat. Um, we could explore it further, but I'll I'll leave it at that point. Um, you know, I think some of the out-of-shape question marks that surrounded Jordan Davis are much bigger red flags with Vondre Sweat than they were with Jordan Davis. And, you know, we haven't seen Jordan Davis quite live up to the hype yet. So we'll see what he does in year three for those guys. But we'll see. So. You know, Byron Murphy, yes, Tavondre Sweat, eh, uh, is basically the final conclusion. So that's going to do it for us here on today's episode. I hope you guys uh, have a great weekend. If you want to check out my Drake May film breakdown, hit the link in the description at joinsubtext.com slash Lockdown Falcons. Again, 14-day free trial and $4.99 a month thereafter. You'll get access to all of my film breakdowns, whether it's all 22 reviews, extended all 22 reviews from the regular season, as well as any prospect and free agent breakdowns. At some point, we'll We'll probably get into Kirk Cousins and, and Justin Fields film a little bit later this offseason as we get into March or something like that. So that will be something else in store for you. But it's all part of Lockdown Podcast Network, guys, your team every day.